it, you know, listen, La Rochelle win. They do a ride of the death. Uh, and then you tell the story and it sounds. How do people at the top of the game do what they do? And what can young players learn from them to help them on their own journey and help them achieve their dreams in the game? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Welcome to today's episode of the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international, now mindset and performance coach. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast episode. And if you're out there and you love this podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. That really helps because the more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more the different platforms say, hey, this podcast is helping people, people are enjoying it. Maybe we should show to people who have never heard of it before. And that way the podcast grows organically. Also, you can send the podcast on some friends and I would greatly appreciate that. The best teams in the world use theming to make their environment more engaging and exciting, to give themselves an edge and to get a little bit more out of certain areas of their game. La Rochelle are one of those teams and today's chat is with David Sharkey who is in his third season with La Rochelle and works side-by-side with Ron Nogara to implement theming in the club. In the podcast, David talks about what theming is, the different levels of it, how you can use it effectively for your team, when it becomes ineffective, and he also explains the theming that he and Rod used in La Rochelle's team meetings the week they beat Leinster in last season's European Champions Cup final. As well as this, we chat about some other work he's done around character coaching, redefining masculinity, and improving team connections. He chats about what he learned also going into the Irish 20s camp with then coach Noel McNamara, which is really interesting. I've had Noel on the pod before, he's a great guy and really enjoyed chatting with him about player development and coaching. When you're finished here, check that and some of the other earlier episodes out. So here's episode number 62 with David Sharkey. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website sparkswealth.ie. Recently a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple easy to understand way no jargon and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So how did you first get into or interested in theming? So my my initial, I suppose, ideas around theming was actually centered around what I call character coaching. So the idea of trying to shape a player or a person's character by the experiences we might go through. So that's kind of a strange space to be in now that I sort of work in a or support coaches in a sort of high performance space um, where, you know, a lot of it is obviously focused on again, wins and success and performances. Um, so I sort of, you know, I've been, I've been speaking about this recently where I've accidentally stumbled into this <laughs> sort of uh, space. Uh, which is which is exciting but to go back to I suppose character coaching uh, a number of years ago I was looking at a project that I called redefining masculinity and I was trying to use the rugby schoolboy team I was working with at the time to explore how we could maybe have some maybe deeper resonance in relation to uh 
I suppose, development of their of their character. So that looked at, for example, um, that looked at uh, emotional being, mental health. It looked at uh, putting positive female role models in front of uh, what was a group of young boys or young men at the time. Um, and that's where I started, I suppose. So I had done that for a season and then the following season when I was coming back to it I was looking at a better way to tie that together so rather than having kind of each week a slightly different focus that didn't connect um I had read about sorry I hadn't read about theming that's not true because there wasn't anything about it <laughs> that's something that I kind of uh prompted me I suppose to start writing about it myself so I'd heard about theming people had talked a lot about theming saying Certain groups, certain uh, sports teams were doing it. The most high-profile one was obviously uh, Scott Robertson and the Crusaders. Um, and obviously that had, and when I dug into that, I realized it wasn't necessarily Scott Robertson who started it. It was actually the earliest I could find it within the Crusaders was Wayne Smith. So they had used it. It was part of their culture. Um, Robbie Deans then had followed Wayne Smith using it. And, and, and I suppose Scott Robertson had had used or seen theming as a player and then was utilizing it as a coach. So I had heard about that. I was interested in it. Um, and I heard himself and uh, Raj talking about it when he was an assistant coach down there. And I was kind of interested in what that looked like. I heard a, a conversation, an interview um, that they had, and I thought that might be a cool way to connect the character coaching stuff I'm doing. So I tried to I gave it a crack uh gave it a go wrote up my experiences because as I said no one was really I suppose exploring that space and then off the back of that I kind of figured I'd unearth some people in that space and did so one of which was randomly uh was Raj who actually had read some of the work that I'd done uh, and that's how we kind of first connected um and then we connected later to do some more work so yeah it was it was character development and I still see that as a huge part of what I do even though I'm now in a in a different space with it I suppose yeah and that's really interesting that character development I haven't heard of that and um redefining masculinity talk to me a little bit about what you were doing there with those teams so the thing that prompted me to explore it was the aftermath and the fallout of the Belfast rape trial, um, which was obviously hugely high profile in Ireland and to a lesser extent in the UK. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, but I'm living in London and I was sort of keeping close tabs on what was happening there. And it was hard not to see uh, rugby in the dock and someone who played rugby in Ireland, someone who'd experienced rugby dressing rooms um, in Ireland. And I, I kind of was initially, sorry, very, very defensive about what was being said about rugby players and the sort of the, the, the accusations being leveled at them. And, and at this time, there was a, a what's called the kind of Wellington Festival in, uh, in, sorry, in the UK, which happens where basically all the kind of academies and sub-academies bring together all their uh, under-16 teams. And I was working with WASPs at the time. And so as part of that, I was sort of asked along. And all week, people were looking at the best technical and tactical kind of stuff they could get from the session. And there was an ex-player who talked about the kind of caustic environment that professional dressing rooms were. He said that you know, rugby dressing rooms were about bottle up your feelings, um, get as many notches in the bedpost and drink as much as you can. And I sort of stopped and went, why are we doing any of the other stuff? Or not, not why are we doing the other stuff? I got that. But why are we spending so much time on the other stuff? We have to find a way to address that issue. Because if you're sending what was young men in that environment into a dressing room that was like that, then I don't think we were doing enough. That was my feeling on it. And so that coupled with my thoughts on the Belfast rape trial, which was happening, was concluding at the time, led me to look at, okay, how can I, as a sports coach who works with these, these young men for a couple of hours a week, uh, how can I maybe look at how we might challenge, uh, I, I know, stereotypes or 
uh, aspects around masculinity. That was the idea. And so we want to, I was like, rather than have a sort of a, a kind of talk you might have in schools with this sort of a tick box approach where you might go in and go, cool, someone's going to talk about mental health. Great. And then someone's going to talk about, you know, um, how, how I suppose, um, you know, aspects around maybe discrimination or misogyny or whatever it is, whatever sort of prejudicial issue. And we had this sort of schools can, uh, I've worked in a few, um, can have this sort of approach where we go, cool, we've, we've checked that off. And I was kind of going, how can we keep that conversation alive in a different space? Um, and I've said this before that I was looking to have this conversation in a rugby space. So rather than it just being about how well they scrummage, how fast they run, how hard they hit in the tackle, uh, how well they pass or kick a ball. It was, it was all those things. And it was, it was another space to kind of go, do you know uh, about, you know, I don't know, certain players maybe who suffered from depression, you know, and how common it is, or just to maybe use sport as a vehicle by which you could have lasting impact. That was the idea. Uh, now it was a daunting challenge. I don't think I necessarily got everything right. It allowed me to explore a huge amount in that space. Um, but it was kind of like every week there would be a different focus. So we might maybe talk about Heather Fisher in the sevens program and Heather Fisher was a great uh, role <clears throat> model for the lads to kind of look up to because of all the issues she had faced as a, as a kind of, as, as a kid, uh, issues around her own mental health, her parents breaking up, dealing with alopecia, dealing with her own uh, issues in, in relation to her sexuality. Uh, there were lots of kind of things, I suppose, that, that, that were kind of encountered there. So there was just kind of looking at role models in that way and trying to maybe, I don't know, have the conversations that were maybe tick box elsewhere in a more common setting. That was the idea. Yeah, that's brilliant. And um, yeah, it's definitely an issue, like you say, about sharing the stories of role models who have, say had mental health uh, struggles or different things like that but I think it, we're getting better but there's a problem in that you don't hear of those people like I remember and that's a big reason why I started this or like so that people could speak about their experiences because like players coaches whatever different people but um, when I was growing up I never ever heard any person I admired speak about a tough time they had in a sporting sense and so when I had challenging times when I was a teenager I thought I was the only one you know and it, it, it's very you you think that it's like well well I'm never going to be able to do anything because I have all these challenges you know and you think everyone else has it easy and then when you're 18 19 like I, I went to a boarding school so I couldn't drink but then when I left school then you can and like you say that environment that you said mm it's just it's just so easy to just um just go drinking and and that's i spoke with joe van niekirk on this and he said like he had trauma when he was younger and similarly just like drink you know just drink like try to get away from it so it's it's brilliant that you are um yeah started doing that with yeah young people and how did it go how did how was it received so there was definitely some funny looks uh from the lads now i i and this is something that's important. Uh, they knew me from the year before. I had coached them the year before. So I had a, I had a good sense of who they were. There was a certain sense of trust. Uh, there's another thing that's very, very important. And this is something that coaches who maybe try to replicate this have struggled with. Is that I was a teacher in their school. So in a way, they had to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean that in a, in a kind of good sense. Like they kind of had to at least give it a go and sort of be I don't know, reasonably respectable in how I was maybe delivering it. Um, but the probably the easiest thing to do, and I think this is something you can do, whether you, you kind of know a group or sorry, how well you know a group would be up to you. But one of the first things we did was just talk about why do you play rugby? Um, and that was trying to create a space by which this is somewhere you can share what it is you're, um, maybe what you're feeling, what you're going through, just so we get a better sense of you. So in order to kind of prompt that, I talked about how my own father, who passed away when I was 12, when I was eight, he forced me, sorry, he didn't force me to play rugby. He gave me a choice, Irish dancing or rugby. And uh, I went Irish dancing for a couple of weeks and then ended up playing rugby. So yeah. I kind of talked a little bit about, you know, 
my growing up and, and how I got into sport and, and just little stuff about me. And for me, that was kind of important because in teaching, especially in certain walks of life, we, we kind of we we wear masks and those masks are important sometimes to draw distinctions and boundaries and lines. Um, and what that was doing, I'm not completely ripping off the mask, but you're showing them underneath the mask briefly. Uh, so they sort of see you in a slightly different light. And by trying to model that, you're then trying to invite them if they feel comfortable to share. And people shared to different depths and degrees, I suppose, with that. Um, but, you know, there was there was one young young guy who talked about, because I had prompted about my own father, that he talked about, it was his mom actually who got him into rugby and how she had fairly recently had passed away because of cancer and sort of there were people in the group most people knew that but I wonder if there was someone who didn't and he was openly sharing that and though I suppose I was trying to give certain opportunities like that not everything was about a sharing session sometimes it was just a here's a resource let's respond to it so it could be as I said the stuff around Heather Fisher it, we looked at stuff around uh, sexuality we touched on aspects of Gareth Thomas's story um, we talked about race and discrimination when we looked at uh, apartheid South Africa and rugby in the country so there were different ways in which we could kind of uh, yeah it was different prompts maybe into those kinds of conversations and it wasn't to necessarily it was just it wasn't necessarily to like get a specific outcome it was just to kind of say hey these things happen and as you said there you were maybe experiencing something as a uh, you know as a young player a young person and you sit like so much of i think those pressures of that you're sitting there thinking no one else is feeling like this and just the acknowledgement that someone else has felt like you or is feeling like you and that person is someone maybe who's on a tv you've never met but just that acknowledgement is a i think it can be a real burden off your shoulders so when that person possibly is even in the room with you i think that's even more powerful so it was just trying to kind of look at those aspects um i think in a bit more detail um so that as i said that's all where that kind of started and it there were other ways in which of like which kind of led me into theming like I'm an English teacher by 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 trade and so I'm, I'm fascinated by language and how we use it and how it's alive and you know interpretations and many students will groan as I maybe you know suggest a certain alternative interpretation uh, about something but you know how we use language and how we interact with one another and what we call things I think were was stuff that was interesting so in a way, looking back, it kind of makes sense that I would end up in theming, but my way to it was through that method of character coaching and looking at values and and uh, masculinity, as I said, which I wanted to, which, sorry, I wanted to, I wanted to at least redefine. Uh, I didn't want to use the term toxic because, and that's not to say there's not such a thing as toxic masculinity, but I was looking, I was working with guys who were, when I first started coaching were 14, uh, and then there were 15 when I did this project I didn't want to sort of brand them with that I, mm -hmm. and so I kind of wanted to be a sense of um, yeah a chance to shape something rather than a burden they were sort of labeled with going you know you are bad already it was sort of uh, yeah maybe an opportunity to shape or to have a conversation about where it might go yeah it's brilliant yeah um, that's class and so then getting into the the theming and working with rugby teams so what exactly is it so for someone who's maybe heard a bit and you know it's in the ether these days but like so what exactly is theming in a rugby team so as i said no one i really knew was writing about it i couldn't find stuff written about it and then when I started writing it, I realized, oh, wait, everyone's doing it in some shape or form. And it was just the degree by which they were doing it. And I think people weren't necessarily doing it the way I was doing it, but they were exploring it in a, small, a kind of smaller sense. So, for example, there are so many metaphors and uh, 
certain trigger words you might use in, in, in rugby to kind of explain a kind of concept. So like, I would argue that I would argue there's certain scales of theming, I suppose, that there are certain micro or super micro uh, aspects where you're looking at specific part of play. So an easy one for me that kind of jumps to mind is the idea of in rugby, they would talk about if someone's over the ball jackling and got both their hands either on the ball or on the player, the image was like you want to break the glass. Imagine there's a pane of glass there and you're punching through. Now, for me, I would argue that's theming on a, on a micro kind of level. So the use of metaphors, the use of sort of image or idea there. Now, that goes for me, that it could be part of if you connect that to other phases of play. You talk about your defensive system. Saracens use the wolf pack, for example, as a as a concept a few years ago uh, to capture to engage, to motivate uh, their their collective group. And I would argue that's moving up the scales to maybe micro or, or kind of macro uh, kind of theming where it's more connected, it's more lasting. It's not in a specific part of play all the way through to actually impacting values, culture on off-field behaviours. So it's the idea of taking a, a, an idea, a story, a theme, a word, and sort of letting that blend throughout what it is you're trying to achieve, whether that's you want to work on, you want to work like you want to theme your rucking, you want to theme your mole defense, you want to theme your warm up in basketball, you want to theme your, you know, whatever it is, your fielding and cricket. Like there's 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 any sort of ways in which you could do this. It's just thinking about the language, the ideas, the way in which you might capture that. And part of my my interest in this area has really accelerated by the the nature by which language in rugby was kind of morphing into the same. Now I've had the pleasure and I know you're, you're um, in Canada, uh, but like I've had the pleasure of playing rugby in, in England in Ireland in Australia, uh, been on tours, Argentina, South Africa. Um, you know, I've been sort of all over. And in many cases, people are calling the move the exact same stuff. Now that's just moves or certain concepts and part of me was like, we could call this something else. It's as arbitrary as calling whatever, but we could connect it to an idea that could last better. So, you know, the Saracens example is a good one about like, what does it mean to be part of a wolf pack? You've kind of got, you're already kind of touching on another area, which, which I, I would refer to, and again, sports psychologists who I've spoken to might challenge me on this or whatever, but like psychological periodization, where you're looking at priming people for certain moments or even self-talk, for example, about how you're going to respond to something. Um, so that was sort of the idea that actually language can, language can include but it can also exclude so if we can define our own language as a team what we call stuff what we recognize what we do then you're creating a you're creating a group identity based off that or you could just call it rangy do you get me or whatever it is like you could just cool that's what it's called that's what we know it as now again it's it only comes as useful as players want to use the language like if you're calling it something else going no we're going to call it apollo uh because we're doing something on space missions and everyone's calling it rangy well then leave it with rangy like whatever they want to use but just give people another opportunity maybe to redefine uh the language that they want to use uh that was definitely something that i suppose as an english teacher and coaches uh was something that really fascinated me yeah class and so Along with doing the mindset and performance coach with players and teams, I coach on the field as well. And I'm here in Canada and UBC. And what I did two, three years ago, just what you were saying resonated. Um, so with the attack, I coach the attack. And I was like, I didn't, I found traditional attacks to be too restrictive. And a lot of teams are doing one, three, three, one. And I hated it because the team I was playing in, we're doing a one, three, three, one. And they said like, Brian, you stand here in this pod and you do this or this. And I'm like, I, I need, you know, I can't be that restricted. Like I need, mm -hmm. I need, I play what I see or what feel or whatever. And so I wanted them um, to kind of get that identity in with the team. So what I did was created roles and not positions. So there were two roles in the Ford pack. It was a bully or a wolf. And the bully was somebody, a bigger body who stayed in the middle of the field, bashed, 
you know, carried hard, scrummaged mm. like a tight five or a six, you know, and then the wolf was someone who got around the field, hunted, you know, lots of energy, all that kind of stuff, like a kind of a typical back row or, or the, the odd hooker might be like that. And then um, quarterback is pretty normal, you know, two quarterbacks on the field, that's teams will use that. And then uh, one that really worked well, I feel, was an assassin. So I have two assassins and the jersey number doesn't matter, but they can do whatever they want, go around and they just strike and kill and score tries. And uh, so they're the two wingers, but, you know, a 13 could be that person Mm. and they're free to roam around. And um, I just kind of was like, I'm just going to do this because I had these thoughts and I was like, why not or whatever, whatever. Mm. And they started, you know, one or two, now one of them got brought into the Canada sevens and one or two was like, Oh, I'm an assassin. And they were like, they were getting into it, which is, mm. I suppose the kind of, like you're saying, people buying into it a bit and it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's cool. And then it kind of takes on different levels as well. Then they're like, Oh, can assassins do this or quarterbacks? We can be here. And, you know, um, yeah. So I'd, argue, well. I'd argue that's theming. I'd argue you've themed that you've looked at a specific part of play and again, it can often start with the sense of why do we call this this or why are we doing this? That's a good conversation for players to have uh, and for coaches to have with players. And off the back of that, you establish, well, actually, we just kind of want these are the these are the reasons why and these are the better terms for it. So that's that's what I found is that the more I've dug into this and worked with groups like there, there are groups I work with now in teaming and there are people within their, their organizations who are teaming in their own areas and I'm tying together maybe something else for them and helping them in that. But I'm like, oh, like you're doing what I would say is theming. And I think I think you are too in that example. Um, so that would be on a certain scale. And again, when I talk about super micro and micro, that's not to belittle those. Uh, it's, just the, it's just the level by which of involvement and depth and duration that it might that it might resonate uh with but th- i think th- th- those are good examples yeah and it's um when you talk about the wolf pack with saracens and all this stuff it feeds into when you're thinking of implementing something it's how do you want the players to think so what the reason i did it is because i needed to switch the mindset of players because over here players who are wingers quote unquote they stand on the edge of the field and I was like we can't have these lethal players just waiting on the edge of the field waiting for Mm -hmm. the ball to come to them so I had to change the name of it and call them an assassin so that they could and modern wingers do this all the time they go all over the field to and um so yeah so I think you know is that something you see like you know when because I hear of coaches you know talk about like oh we'll implement a theme and it's like why are you doing it Mm. Yeah, so it's a really good reason as to think as to why you might do it. And, and like I've, I've written up and talked about some of the themes I've used and I've had people contact me going, I'm going to do Shackleton or I'm going to do Project Apollo. And I was like, all right, okay, why? And they sort of had gone, well, well it sounded cool. Uh, and there's a real danger sometimes as that there's two things that are real danger. And I found this more recently, especially with some of the success with some of the groups that I've had is that when you tell people at the end what the story was, it sounds so simple, but it really wasn't. Uh, I could I could guarantee it wasn't uh, in order to get to that stage. And like anyone who's coached or taught will know, like anyone who's been on a sideline in a sport and said, I can't believe they're doing this. We just did this last week. And you just did it last week for like a session. And maybe if you spent all of your two hour session doing that, that is still <laughs> one episode of learning in a very yeah. long journey. So like I often try and tell coaches and teachers sometimes they think of like time kind of cosmically, like on a huge scale, like you're, if you expose people to something once, it's probably not going to stick. Like, and the really, infuriating and also but also challenging thing for people who work in learning spaces is that you've got to revisit stuff you've got to repackage it and show them different ways and then sometimes it really sticks and then you're like wow that's amazing and i think for a theme and changing language as you said when people start talking about assassins and bullies and wolves or they start like actually not quoting but like really digging into it you're like that's taken a long time to get there and 
to get to the end of the team and go, we did this, we talked about this. And they're like, oh, cool. And then, then you won a trophy. It's like, yeah, but like there was a lot of other stuff in between uh, getting to that point. And, you know, you mentioned stuff about like you, you looked at the attack and you thought there's a better way to package what we're doing. And you just like, so your theme, and this is why I mean by it's, it's micro, super micro, micro theming, like it probably, I would call it micro in the sense of it, it, it was a bit broader and it connected a few people and it was a part of play or a phase of play. But another good example of that is, uh, is what you call the people who are not on the field one to 15. And we've seen this with Australia, Michael Checa and then Eddie Jones referring to their starters and their finishers. Now, I wince a little bit when I see other clubs replicating this because I wonder how much they've really dug into what that means. But they've gone with it anyway, and that's fine. But finishers does change the mindset of the people on the bench. And I would argue there's there's certain merit to that. And ultimately, it doesn't really care if I wince or whatever. If it works for them and those clubs do it, I'm just, I'm, I suppose I'm questioning whether it does or not. But the real winner there for me is the bomb squad. The bomb squad, I would argue, is theming. You've made the bench cool. So cool that actually members of the bomb squad after the 2019 World Cup got bomb squad tattooed on themselves. So if that's not a theme working and really resonating with a group, I don't know what is like. Um, But that's a you can see there how just the shift in language is a psychological shift or can be like it can change and motivate where people are like, oh, I'm not starting, but I'm in the bomb squad. Like the bomb squad sounds pretty cool. That's something you're like, oh, we'd come on and really like smash these lads up and, and the 2019 World Cup proved that they can. So I think there's different areas you can explore. And you're absolutely right there. People should ask why. Like the question I always say to people that are like clients that I work with or people who are just interested is that what... Um, like if theming is the answer what's your question like what is it you're trying to solve here what's it doing and if it's just like our defense isn't good enough cool then theme your defense if it's uh you know i want people to be motivated in the warm-up for the game then theme your warm-up and have a focus on that but try and figure out what it is exactly. Now, there could be a whole host of things. You could be our warm-up, our defense, we need to do this. And you can find a way to connect all those. And I've worked with groups where you've, in different languages, in different sports, where you dig down into their language and what they call stuff, and you find a way you suggest things that they might take, and some do, some don't. Um, but yeah, you can connect those things if you want, but you don't have to. Um, and another thing, coaches one, that they, they, they think the teaming is easier than it is. Uh, or they try and do theming in the deep end, really full on, really forceful, and then get annoyed at their players. A bit like the coach on the side saying, we just did this last week. No, we're calling that line out defense this. And they're kind of getting annoyed because it hasn't been embedded. Um, so I often say to coaches and people who are interested in this is maybe just start small and build it up, you know, start in a certain area and then build up to the bigger stuff if you want to go there. But always think why you're doing it. Otherwise, you have a lot of players scratching their heads going, I don't know what this lad's talking about. Oh, hundred percent. You make a lot of great points there. And the, um, like you say, these days teams that say finishers, I'm actually like, I cringe at it nearly now because it's so hollow and it means nothing. And it's just like, you're just doing that because some other, you don't mean it. You don't mean it. You say finishers and you don't bring on any subs. You know, yeah, like you, yeah, you have yeah. these teams that are calling them finishers and, and you're not bringing people on or you don't trust, you know. Yeah, you don't trust you, you don't you trust, trust the kid to come on for five minutes rather than yeah. a half a game or something like that. It's like, well, geez, they really are finishers. They're only doing yeah. the last five minutes. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's like I had a, even had an, a team at one of the teams I coach and it's like I was like, oh, you know, I'm starting team here. And then um, uh, so like I kind of did this uh, uh, subs and then someone turned to me and laughed and goes, finishers and i'm like yeah you know like they like they know it themselves as players it's like we're just calling these people this but they're the people who aren't picked and if you don't have the depth in your squad to be bringing on like south africa to bring on players who are as good as the players Mm -hmm. who are starting and you have a complete yeah you just need to be aware of if you're doing things for the sake of it because you heard someone else doing it versus if you 
there's there's also the sense sorry like if let's say for example we said that finishers and again it literally comes down to and i've said this a lot about jargon as well where we could accuse someone of, of using jargon but jargon's only jargon if it doesn't make sense to people if people are using what i would perceive as jargon and they all get it well then it's not actually jargon so the same mm. is true for finishers and you said like in that example the use of finishers was like cringeworthy for you and the players. That's where you'd argue, well, we probably shouldn't call it that. But let's say it really meant something to someone and people really bought in and thought about why they were calling it that. Well, then it could work, couldn't it? And I wonder, I hope <laughs> that's how it's being used in some cases. But my question is, is that, is it? <laughs> I suppose. Mm, yeah. And what it, when you were like if a team reaches out to you and you go in to work with a team and you've never met the coach you've talked to him once you've never met the players you haven't a clue of how things are run what would say like how would you go into that <laughs> i've had the privilege of doing this almost with all the work i've done mm. <laughs> there's no there's no coach i've worked with who i knew beforehand and I get that a lot I get that a lot over here where people because Ireland's a small place and you'll know this it's not six degrees of separation it's two degrees of separation like mm. you know someone who knows someone that does happen and so people assume that I knew Raj before I started working with him for example but we hadn't and he was coaching in a different language uh, and I didn't like I I had spent some time in professional environments uh, myself from an observational coaching perspective but I had never spent you know that much time thinking about what they were going to say and do and live and breathe and their values I didn't I hadn't hadn't done that so that's uh that's really challenging and that takes time and that's another thing as well with uh I kind of need to explain is that sometimes when people hear the story at the end they realize sorry they think that it's it's far easier you're like cool you talked about this and that's that's and then we win and it's like mm. not quite uh it doesn't quite work like that and you also have to remember that I'm coming at this from a values kind of perspective. And it's the reason I call my, my company uh, team architecture, because it's like, how do we come together? Because I think if we can sort that out, if we can care about each other, if we can connect uh, on a certain level on pitch and off pitch, I think that will help performance, but consider like, that's where I've come at this. So I'm looking at teaming from the lens of, and some, some coaches uh, get in contact with me and they want a theme. They're very, very clear. And they're like, we want to theme our defense or we want to do this and we want to do that. Or like a, a, let's say an attack coach gets in touch and wants to talk about this or someone who's working in SNC and they want to like some of the SNC work. And I'd recommend talking to, uh, sorry, um, looking at the work of Nick Winkleman who talks about queuing. Now queuing is what I would term on the scale of theming down the, the, the super micro micro end of theming where you're finding a specific reference so he would talk about he works in the rfu and had worked in the kind of combine stuff in the nfl and he talks about there's a great image he has which i would call theming where he talks about like that your kind of sprint stance and how you're trying to get off the line and he would talk imagine there's a rattlesnake behind your heel and his line was his cue was beat the bite so he would talk about, imagine a rattlesnake is going to snap at that heel. You want to push that off as quickly as possible. Mm. So he's trying to use, and he talked like he talked about, like he's an expert in this space. Uh, but I would say that that's like theming on a certain level. Um, but other, like other coaches in different walks would contact you and they want to look at a very, very specific area. Um, and I need to kind of get to know them and their challenges and their players as quickly as possible uh, in many cases. And that can be, visits on the ground observing them uh it can be a lot of zoom calls uh, as it was certainly at the yeah during the first lockdown the first year uh of uh working with with groups it was you know a lot of remote stuff uh as best you can to kind of get a sense of what it is they're trying to what it, what problem they're trying to solve and then how might i help them um and i think as much as i specialize in the use of themes and stories i suppose my work is in you know, communication consultancy. I do hate the word communication uh, as a rugby coach because it's overused, yeah. but it's a, in my case, it's trying to think about how do we interact and how can I support? So as much as I do help them specialize in the use of theme and story, if that's what they want, I can also look at 
the language they're that they're using, uh, how they interact with each other on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, you know, how do we bring those values off the wall and into real life? Is that really what we want to do, or does it just look good in a, I don't know, a press release or a Twitter post or an Instagram video or whatever it is? Uh, so I try to consult people on a, a lot of areas rather than just but just themings and stories. But again, I think the themes and stories really resonate with people. Uh, so that's certainly why they they often contact. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, I like what you say about um, was it Nick Winkleman the name, but using the theming uh, in those like skills. And one I heard years ago as a lineout jumper, and um, and I've used this since, which really I liked was uh, they said, you know, when a swimmer dives off the boards into the pool, hmm. that's how you want to explode up into the sky so mm. they dive with their hands everything follows their hands and they they go and you're the same as a line jumper because you know sometimes people will jump with their hands a bit out or their legs a bit out or they just you know but the unison or the synchronicity of a swimmer going in and it's the exact same it's it's explode up into the sky mm. and um i just that i remember oh, i probably heard that i don't know 12 or 40 a long time yeah. ago and uh, that's just one that came to mind when you were saying that. It can it can be, and I, I've heard I've heard Nick Wiggins speak a few times, and he's a book out with the language of coaching, which is like which is excellent, and and, and digs into this and looks at internal and external cueing. So a cue is just like a prompt you would give an athlete before uh, you know performing a movement, <clears throat> and there are different ones which can be more effective. And again, I would see that as a way of making learning stick, making you know, giving it real resonance. You talked about being told that years and years ago and it lasting. And also think of how many reps you need to do as a line-out jumper in training and matches. And imagine like in your own head, that self-talk being like swimmer of the blocks. Do you get me? That's the sort of, or, or a lifter even saying to you going, last time you weren't a swimmer of the blocks, this time we need you to be. Like this is on our line. We got to defend it. We If we win back this ball, game's over. So out of the blocks you know that kind of stuff i think can be it can resonate it can um and it can i think really prime you for a specific moment and movement uh within a game so definitely you know i i, I certainly don't know it on the level of detail that, that nick winkelman does but he's certainly someone to, to to check out for sure i will be doing and um you mentioned like uh help like care and connect helping people connect to each other are there any um and you chat about this what you were saying at the start would definitely do that but are there any other things that you any other kind of exercises or things that might help a team connect and therefore as a result care for each other more so that can yeah so i think as a coach, as someone who tries to use some of the work I'm doing myself and then supports other coaches or businesses or groups to kind of come together, it can be a, I think one of the reasons why people ask me to come in is sometimes just to give an external view on how it is they're interacting. So um, a few, <laughs> I still remember a few years ago, I think you regretted having me in at first. Uh, Noel McNamara, who's now coaching with the Sharks and was with Leinster for years. Noel and I worked uh, together in, uh, in school as teachers a few years ago. And so I knew him from that. And he, uh, he'd he gone to New Zealand. The RFU had sent him to New Zealand to work in the MPC for a couple of months. And after he'd come back, I just wanted to catch up and see how it was. And he he said, listen, I'm, I'm new with the, uh, the Irish 20s. I've got a camp over Christmas. Do you want to come in? And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. So I went in and I remember getting in there. Actually, Harry Byrne was in that camp and there was a few others. I think it was in Casey. Uh, sorry, Casey. Craig Gilroy, I think, was... Uh, was No, Craig Casey. Sorry, Craig was in, yeah, uh, sorry apologies. Uh, was in, I think, was on that, on that group. And they were playing England in six weeks' time. And I walked in. I was there with them for the whole day. And it was great. I came in. I sat down. I was chatting to players. I was listening to Noel speak and whatnot, and uh, I kind of started off the day, and I was look basically. I'd walked in, and there was so much technical and tactical stuff on the boards, and what the lads were meant to know, and, and all that. I kind of went, well, I can't really say how well someone's passing. Like in this, this is a different level to how I've coached that. So 
I was like, well, what can I look at? So I was interested in this space of how people kind of interact. And so at the end of the day, Noel asked me, said, oh, how was that? And I was like, I think you've got a group who can't speak up. I think you've got a group that can't challenge you or, um, or each other in certain cases. I don't think they're willing to ask why. I don't think they know why they're doing why. And I sort of went in this diatribe Adam and he was sort of reeling from it. he's like Jesus uh, <laughs> and he came back to me a few months later and said listen most people who came in all said oh that was great thanks so much for me in. now because I knew him I was in a space to do that but that allowed me to look at the interactions of how how information was being delivered whether it was being uh, acted upon whether they were using the terminology that they were supposed to use so that certainly helped uh, sorry that's certainly something that I think uh, people again, I suppose, hire me for. Um, but I think having more conversations around that kind of stuff, why do we call this this? Uh, why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? I think those kinds of things are really, really useful. And I think sometimes in groups, there's a huge assumption, that happens a lot actually from working with different groups. There's a huge assumption we all know what, what we're trying to do. Uh, leaders mm. can go, but we said it, or yeah. we emailed them. And there's a real sense of no, or, or it changes. Like what they thought they were doing has shifted because, I don't know, a huge challenge has, has kind of put itself in the way. Like the people have changed uh, because time has moved on and we're different and we're facing something and we some of us work from home and some of us are here in the office or, um, you know, there's a whole load of things. So I think digging into those and, and, and having more opportunities think, to clarify what it is we're trying to do can be important. I mentioned the one about why you're, why you're there, why you're doing what you're doing, uh, finding out people's backstory and sharing those, I think, can be useful, not just as a leader, but as a group. I think that kind of stuff can help people connect. Yeah. And I've had Noel on the pod here. Great man. And yeah, great. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, accounts. he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He's a, yeah. Yeah. Top luck. Top man. And uh yeah, it's interesting chatting about that day with the Irish 20s and something that I know as a coach myself, I think all coaches are guilty of is blasting information at players because then you've blasted the information. So like you said, we've talked about this, you know, so when in six months, you know, you as a coach, then just you, you've given the information and you just expect it to be take, or picked up. And one other thing when you're talking about just like that kind of environment of Irish 20s, and I remember when I was in camp, say with the Irish twenties, I was never a, a player that like was like Tyke Furlong, Ian Henderson, these boys might've felt comfortable. But um, I think a lot of players in those kind of environments don't feel comfortable to speak. Like you say, like no one, you said like no one's uh, comfortable to challenge you, whatever, whatever. And, and that's, I can, I remember that, like, you know, yeah. nobody feels comfortable. And even in club teams, like, stepping up somebody who's just joined a team will not feel comfortable somebody who a young person will probably not feel comfortable and when you know it's only when a team's together for a while that yeah. unless you do a lot of work on it unless you a lot of work unless it's only when a team has been together for i don't know even a full season or two seasons or three seasons that people feel comfortable that they can say hey david you know i i think that i think i don't agree with that or you know yeah. to speak up and um it's something that is coaches we kind of as sometimes assume like you know like well i'm approachable you know you can talk to me you know I, I, you know <laughs> that does that's that happens an awful lot like my door is always open but no one walks through it yeah what's wrong with people yeah like, maybe it's not the door that's the problem um yeah. you know and again I, I think it's just maybe reframing how you want to how you want to prompt uh an environment that is open to sharing that cares about accountability that understands why it's okay for me to criticize you sorry let me rephrase that criticize your work or what you've done mm. rather than you uh and to maybe depersonalize it. i think that can be useful um and i think this was something i noticed again that day with Noel, and uh he'll, he'll be delighted i'm bashing him here of course uh was uh, the was the idea that there can be an assumption, and I may I, I make this assumption a, a, a lot, is that sometimes when you see players who are exceptional or people who are exceptional at what they do, you sometimes are amazed by what they can't do. You're like, how can you not see that? Yeah. And like, how can you not be, like be able to do that? And it's such a cheap seat, you know, sideline 
2020 vision i can see everything like we do this as as fans don't we where we see so how on earth can't you do that it's like well you've no idea like let's maybe step into their shoes and consider all the things but the the fact of the matter is, is that like a lot of those lads in that in that camp as talented rugby players they were this was probably for some of them who've gone on to represent ireland uh who've gone on to represent their provinces for some of them this was the highest level they were going to achieve and that's amazing in and of itself, but there was maybe a fear or everyone expected them in their clubs going, you're going to play for Ireland, you're going to, you know, you're going to carve up. And maybe there was a sense of, again, these were young men who were, you know, nervous and anxious and, you know, they were fine. They were, for the first time maybe in their lives, they were a small fish in a very, very big pond. And why would they challenge anyone, <laughs> as you say, uh, just because technically and tactically or, or they're capable of doing it at Munster, uh, at 18s or whatever this is like yeah it's something i'm fascinated in is a sense of team dynamics and, and how we how we become it uh, how we become a team all the time and we change week to week the challenge changes that the, the, the challenges in front of us change uh the people change the experiences of how we respond to those challenges they all shape us and we all change as a result of it and we need to adjust accordingly i suppose um so that's why it was just that again yeah, as Noel told me, geez, he gave me both barrels there. Uh, but like, it was just, I was saying, listen, I know him well enough to be able to kind of have that conversation, I suppose. And I think eventually he appreciated if uh, I could have, I definitely could have couched it better, maybe in a nicer way, but uh, I didn't have time. So yeah, that's my excuse. <laughs> yeah, a team dynamics, very interesting. But as a coach, yeah, you do those, it's funny, those kind of things are definitely can be hard to hear at very first when you hear them, but then you really appreciate them. Like it's uh, it's like funny when I even see it myself, like I'll be like, uh, any questions, thoughts, whatever, and players will say something and it's like, they're disagree- like they have a different opinion or view and it's like, oh, and then, but like, you just have to like, Brian, just breathe listen yeah, you know yeah. and, and then you hear them and you're like yeah and and you actually it's it's good you know and it's brilliant that's what you do need and it does help and the more different angles you can see things just the better you can get and um talk to so are you still working with Raj and Larochelle and and how do you how does that like you're based in London or or you know how does that work or yeah. what what do you do there uh, it, it means an awful lot of Duolingo on French and me trying to uh, practique mon français. Um, so it, yeah, so yeah, sorry, I'm back for a third season with uh, with, with Raj and, and La Rochelle, or as I as I insist on calling them, Stade Rochelet. Um, and I've been out there a good few times over the last number of years. Uh, I still remember the first time we actually met was about. 13 months after we started working together. So it was the night before the Heineken Cup final uh, in London when Toulouse were playing La Rochelle. And La Rochelle had never been there. And I met Raj in their hotel the day before. And I remember when we met, I said to him, geez, it's good to finally meet. And he kind of looked at me and went, have we not met? <laughs> it's like, I know it feels like that, but because we would be in, you know, regular contact throughout the week and on conversations on Zoom. It did f- feel a bit funny. And when I was out there in... In April, I was out there for about uh, 10 days or so. I went to a home and away game. Um, I was over with uh, him and his his kids and family and, and Jess's wife. She had said, geez, I feel like I know you because, again, I'm either in the background of the Zoom call or something like that. So, um, yeah, again, I, I'm back working with them uh, this year. And, uh, again, it's sort of the same sort of dynamic, uh, except I have a better sense I think he and I have a, a better sense of each other about what we expect from each other, uh, about, you know, where I push him on certain things and he pushes me. Uh, it's tricky because I'm not there all the time and because I don't necessarily know the challenges, but it's one of the reasons I'm able to, I think, make it work is that he's the head coach who's kind of setting the tone for everything. So he can influence everything. Uh, so if I know what he's thinking and how he's viewing things, then I think I have a better sense of it. So, yeah, so back with back with them this year and uh, winning the winning the Champions Cup last year was pretty special. But uh, there's still a bouclier to bring back to 
the port of uh, La Rochelle. And as much as I miss the celebrations uh, in the old port, which the images were just incredible. And I got a couple of messages from uh, there's a there's an Irish guy, Nico, who runs a bar. Um, he he's the only Frenchman I've ever met with a Carlo accent. Um, he spent a few years there in the 90s and he came back and, and opened a bar. Um, the General Humbert, General Humbert is the actual name if you're Irish, uh, as just by the port. He sent me a message the day of, of the homecoming. And he said that they had such a big night the day of the final that they couldn't open the next day. Uh, and you're talking like this is 50 yards from the images you're seeing and like the money they would have made. He's like, no, it was just amazing just to have La Rochelle win something like that. So it was cool to get those messages and from a few other people, again, who I've met since being out there. And um, yeah, that was pretty special. Uh, and I made the decision. Someone said, which is particularly weird. Sorry, that's a, as an experience was particularly weird because I'm the only Leinster fan who works for La Rochelle that I'm aware of. I haven't asked everyone in the building, but uh, I'm pretty sure. Dunnick Ryan is not a Leinster fan, nor is uh, Will Skelton or other lads again who are part of that group. So, uh, yeah, an amazing experience. But as I said, you know, Rog is still keen to, to kind of kick on and let that be the, the start of something, you know, uh, rather than just, a, you know, filter, uh, I suppose, further away and sort of, you know, into insignificance. He wants to kind of bring back a, a bouclier to... La Rochelle, which would be great to be a part of if, if we manage to do that. So we'll see. That's class and fair play for our well done for last year. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, like um, chat with Shane Fletcher about the Crusaders and how like you can build like like you say, um, there's a start. And then it's not that every season you get, well, you can correct me, but that every season it's a new story and it's, it's all right. Now that worked, but something else, it's kind of, it's always building on what has been, isn't it? Mm, yeah. You, you like, there's no point when I've talked to coaches about kind of theming and how you might use it. Like one of the ones that comes back to me in rugby is do I need to change my line out calls? Because I've just got them to learn the line out calls. And I was like, no, keep your line out calls. Like, you can call yeah. everything else if you want. You can change everything else, whatever you want. Like, find what's useful. Like, like what do you want to keep? What do you want to build on? Like, what do you want to get rid of? What do you want to build on? Like, <clears throat> the in the aftermath of the Champions Cup final, uh, there was Rogers, an article in the Irish Examiner, and he talked about the team we used that week. And that was. Uh, Tom Bordillon and Charles Evans being 300 feet from the top of Mount Everest and having to turn back. Now, that's the day before Tenzing uh, Norgay and Edmund Hillary actually ascended. So that's the, that story was, that story is, came to me again on a run, one of the few runs I've done uh, in the last couple of months uh, in Richmond Park in London. I was running around thinking about the final. What are we going to say? Now, as a Leinster fan, as I said, uh, it's a, a painful uh, uh, job to do, but I had a job to do. So uh, <laughs> I had to come up with something maybe that might resonate or work for them. And so uh, that story was like in my head and we were going to use that in that moment. Now, it, you know, listen, La Rochelle win. They do it right at the death. Uh and then you tell the story and it sounds so simple and so easy, but it's, it's not. And it's trying to tap into a mindset, which I was trying to do because they had gotten so close the year before and fallen short. So they knew what being 300 feet, you know, from the top was. And so I was trying to find a primer of it's basically, if you think about it, in essence, it's the idea of no regrets. Let's not have any regrets here. Let's not wake up on Sunday and be 300 feet short again. Do you get me? That was the idea. Now, there's so many ways to dice that story, and I won't necessarily go into those if whatever it is you need, but that's the story they needed at the time. Now, that's connected to the theme we had used for two years. We had been using that, the, like, that's part of a, that is, when people spoke to me, they're like, oh, you were using an Everest theme. I was like, no, <laughs> what we weren't. We were using something bigger than that. Uh, that connected so we'd actually touched on that story briefly the year before where we'd mentioned it uh, in passing about N Norgay and, and, and um, Hillary ascending Everest so it was sort of there and then we needed to bring it front and centre and get the lights on it and ramp it up and connect it to the story 
that they needed that week. And so as a result of that, we could build on that. We could build on what we've we done before. Now, this season, the theme is different, but it's building on the stuff we've gone before. We can go back to bits if we need them, uh, depending on what the challenge is, depending on are you on a run of four games losing, which they were, I think, this time last year. Uh, what story do you tell then? And having that flexibility and adaptability, I think, is, is, is crucial. And not to be too wed to it. Like, there's definitely times when we have over the last number of years gone let's park the theme for the meantime let's like let's turn it right down and let's go back to what it is or let's bring the values to the forefront or what we're trying to achieve or what you want from this game and then we'll dial it up when we need it and the Champions League final was an opportunity to dial it up uh yeah again in that instance because that's 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 the story they needed at that moment and I say this to people that it's the right it's the right messages by the right people at the right time if you get that right you're onto a winner. If I was trying to tell them that story, you know, in another, you could be like, it's still the same message, but it doesn't have the same resonance uh, that it, it, it had, or hopefully had, well, again, I hope had uh, at that stage. So it's, it's finding again, what works, what doesn't. Uh, and I'm just being, keeping your finger on the pulse as best you can, I think with that. So you can adjust and adapt if needs be. Yeah. Um, the finger on the pulse is a good one and uh, important point. Um, oh, hey, Dave, thanks so much for your time. It's a fascinating area and love your work. I've read um, those different articles about Apollo and different stuff. And uh, yeah, class, best of luck this season. Another cool challenge uh, to win a bouclier. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. Thanks so many for having me on. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed the chat and maybe picked up one or two things. If you did enjoy it and you're interested in this side of the game, check out the episode I did with Shane Fletcher from the Crusaders. He talks quite a lot about how the Crusaders do theming. He goes into detail on the different themes that the Crusaders have used throughout the past few years under Scott Robertson how that has worked for them and that was a really good chat and yeah check out some other earlier episodes I'm sure you'll see different names that you recognize if this is your first time here welcome thank you for clicking in and please make sure you're subscribed I have a lot more great people jumping on in the next few weeks that I'm really excited to publish and really excited to get out there and uh, yeah you'll you'll enjoy the podcast coming up please send on some friends this is such i think theming is such a cool area of the game and i found it really interesting how much i or we probably already use it in that i gave the the swimmer example for me with lineouts and I have been playing around with it myself for the past kind of three years in my coaching just without knowing what theming was so much but I just it just came to me and I just thought it'd be cool and for me when I'm coaching I just kind of do things that I think would be cooler that the players will resonate with and enjoy because yeah for me it's really about the players enjoying being out there having fun and being excited about what they're doing so yeah the theming is just so good for that side of things and we as people enjoy stories and buying into stories and connecting with stories and that's I think a large part of what David is doing with Ron Nogara and La Rochelle and so yeah it was great to have him on as I mentioned at the start I'm a mindset and performance coach and help young ambitious rugby players and it's funny just chatting to different people on this podcast with how interconnected a lot of things in the game are I suppose everything's kind of interconnected because a big part of what I do is help players enjoy playing and love playing because as simple as this might sound this isn't the experience for a lot of players players suffer with low confidence low no belief struggle with overcoming setbacks with injuries 
they worry about what other people will think when they're playing they're worrying about what the coach is going to think of their performance they're worrying about what people on the sideline may be worrying about what their own teammates are thinking they are worrying about will they get selected next week or will they get into that rep team and so when you're a young person five or eight years of age playing rugby or playing soccer in the schoolyard or playing with your friends you're completely in the zone and you love doing what you're doing and you don't have any of those worries and that essentially is what the flow state is that's what in the zone is it's you're completely present and so I just found it interesting the connection with the theming here and that enjoyment aspect because for me the enjoyment is everything if you can get that right and you can love your rugby and just absolutely enjoy it and yeah just love being out there playing ball competing being in the arena giving everything that you've got then you're going to play your best rugby and so I just found it interesting or the connection came in my mind with theming and what coaches can do and how they can help players get to that place because in the middle of winter going out training on a wet windy night is not the easiest but if you can connect it to something more and bring in that story and get the buy-in from the players then they see purpose in it and then that challenge which going out and training in those conditions can be and is can become something that's actually exciting because you then view that little challenge as something bigger like David used the Everest example if you have players and if you as a player are fully bought into something like that then you see these little challenges along the way as part and parcel of climbing the mountain whereas if you don't have something bigger then that challenging in and of itself can be difficult so anyway just a bit of a ramble there but a thought that came to me and something that you as a player in your team or as a coach could think about maybe implementing or you know maybe you already do it and hopefully the podcast here gave you some ideas and as i said the one with shane fletcher is a good one also to check out Thank you for being here. I greatly appreciate it every time. And please, would you take 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review for the podcast wherever you're listening? I would really, really appreciate that. If you would like help with the mental side of the game, having more confidence when you're playing, overcoming setbacks and reaching new levels, then follow me on Instagram, which is at offfieldrugby. If you have any questions or if you'd like to work together, you can send me a DM there or you can email me, which is offfieldrugby at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for being here. Have a brilliant day. Cheers. Good luck.